Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, the baseball season is, of course, finished, so I won't be on it as much looking for tickets for baseball, or at all, really. I mean, what games are there? But uh, comedy is is a big thing I like to enjoy during the winter. And so you can st- you can use SeatGeek for everything else. Concerts, that's kind of all-encompassing when it comes to comedy shows, um, you know, theater shows, actual, con- you know, music concerts, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, they got Broadway, music festivals, they got everything on there. So you can still use it to find that. In fact, I was just looking the other day uh, to find some, some Seinfeld tickets. So I'm kind of interested to see what I'm going to be able to find there. He's coming uh, in January. So Now, SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls the tickets available on other sites all into one place, so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. In fact, I can get you 20 bucks just for listening to the show. All you have to do is uh, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase with them. So again, just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 404 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, November 15th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by a moderately despondent Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Yeah. Uh, you want to tell us what's going on, buddy? <laughs> Some been, news just came down, yeah? I've been dreading this moment all postseason. I mean, I guess postseason's over, but I've been dreading this moment since the moment I I put in my vote and everything went to crap. So let's line. Let's go rewind. Back to, rewind. Let's rewind. Eno, October. part of the BBWAA, yes. gets his first vote. My first vote, and it's manager of the year. And actually, the first thing I said was thank you, and this is great. And then I thought in my head, oh my god. And then the second <laughs> thing I even said to the person who told me that I got it was, oh my god. This is terrible. This is a really hard vote. <laughs> I mean, like, how, I'm, how, you just gave the numbers guy a vote for the thing that we can't really put into numbers right now. It, it, very difficult to quantify, <laughs> I mean, you know, but you gave it an effort. Now, let's let's cut to the chase here. Francona won. Francona won in a landslide, and I'm going to tell you that surprises me because this goes – this vote, as as you were pointing out, uh, goes in as all the other votes do before the playoffs. And so you might see Francona dominate and say, well, yeah, look what he did in the playoffs. That was awesome. Everyone was going crazy for him. Sure, but it didn't count. It, I mean, it didn't, it didn't impact it. Th- these votes were in before. He got 22 of the, what is it, 31st place votes. Um, you had him third. So, but go ahead and explain your reasoning, because I'm not going to kill you on it. I really think that these three guys, the three that were at the top. Now, here's where 
you might get got is it was Francona, Bannister, and Showalter as the top three, and your top guy wasn't on those top three. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, if you if you give a, a guy a numbers guy uh, uh, something that you can't put in numbers, what are they going to do? They're going to try and put it in numbers anyway. We're going to so, make up a number exactly. Yeah, so, what I did was look around for the best reliever, uh, the best manager metrics we could find. There are very few of them, and they're hard to come by because it's a very hard thing to study. You can't, for example, just say, "Oh." Uh, well, the the Orioles, for example, they were way better than they're projected to be. So let's give all that love to Showalter. The problem is that you have the players that played on the field. We have guys like Michael Givens who outperformed their projections. We have uh, you know Manny Machado going ham on the on the on the league. So you know that sort of thing is still on the players. So. You know, I don't. I don't really like doing that. It also has a lot to do with health. You know, if you have, you can have a certain projection, and if everybody stays healthy, you beat that projection. So that's sort of what we saw with the Mets when they made the World Series. That they, they, all their young pitchers stayed healthy. It's not something that you would normally project. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have uh, you have that to think about, and um, and so what I found numbers were numbers for how well do you uh, put your best relievers in the toughest parts in the toughest parts of the game. So how well do you leverage your best relievers? Uh, how well do you put your best hitters in the best lineup spots? So how well do you optimize your lineup? How well, uh, how rigid is your bullpen situation and how fluid is it? So there are these numbers that I came up with. And I put them all in there uh, and averaged them out. And Farrell came at, came in the top. John Farrell from Boston came in the top. Now, I'm one of two people who voted for him. And now there are people who are a bit flabbergasted. I think maybe he's not super popular in Boston. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not reading, you know, Red Sox, uh, you know, news every day. So, um, and I honestly, I didn't, honestly, I will kill that word. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to peel the curtain back because this is take two (laughs) and you literally did the same thing. You said honestly and then scolded yourself. It was almost as if you wanted to make sure we did a perfect recreation and it was completely natural because you hit the honestly button again. It's too good. It's too good. Um, Don't worry about saying it because we want you to be honest. Uh, But dishonestly, go ahead and tell us. Uh so anyway, I came up with Farrell first, Show Walter second, Francona third. I did look at it a little bit and say, mm, maybe one of like you know this still isn't comprehensive. We haven't figured out how to evaluate managers. Maybe uh, I should move a guy around. And I thought about moving Francona up because honest, because I think he's a very good manager. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then I thought, well, I'll do that. But then I thought, well, you know, if there is, a, you could give a little bit of credit to Showalter for them overproducing. You don't want to give all of it, but you can give a little bit of credit. So if he's in second and you might want to move Francona into second, well, Showalter did take, you know, his guys pretty far. And for, you know, for a lot of people, the narrative here is that, that Francona took this ragtag group that wasn't that good into all the way, you know, to the World Series. The problem with that is that our projections had the Indians in first in their division and one of the best teams in the league. So I wasn't going to dig There were people Farrell. taking them to the World Series. You know, right. the, the, it wasn't this. It, this was not the Royals, right? This was not the Royals when they first emerged. No, if, if the... If the Orioles had made it all the way to the World Series, that would have been, you know, overcoming exactly. pro- you know, projections that said you, sh- you wouldn't make, th- make it there. But the Indians and the Red Sox, you know, the two 
the two two of the three guys that made it into my final three, they were supposed to be good teams. They were good teams, and they were run well. So I I didn't really see a need to move. And then the whole Francona thing with Andrew Miller, yeah, you know, Andrew Miller came over. He, he, he was, like, pretty conventional before Andrew Miller came over. He had Cody Allen, and he had Brian Shaw, and he, you know, found his way there, you know. And that's that's what he did. He didn't really, you know, Cody Allen wasn't coming in in the seventh inning. So, you know, so that he wasn't that amazing or different until he got Andrew Miller. And then, you know, for me to move him two spots up into the first spot would have been to basically give him the award because he didn't make Andrew Miller his closer. That would have been I mean, that's that that's that would have been the reasoning is like, well, but I think Cody Allen's pretty good. So that's, that here's amazing? the thing. Was, Let me ask you this: Andrew Miller, like the closer every day in New York. I mean, give Joe Girardi the the the, the award then. You know it, it, exactly. If if their second best reliever is Dan Otero, not even Brian Shaw. Let's let's get rid of Allen and Shaw. Andrew Miller's the closer, right? Th- this is facilitated, and I'm not trying to take the credit away from oh, from. Tito uh, said it too. Tito but said yeah, Tito no. knows. Yeah. That you need a flexible guy like Miller. Honestly, Miller gets the credit. He's the guy who says, I will do anything, yeah. and it wasn't just lip service. He literally meant that I will do whatever it takes. My I'm unconcerned about saves. It's Andrew Miller. <laughs> What's that? My manager of the year is a write-in. It's Andrew Miller. It's Andrew Miller. <laughs> He's so selfless. I, I had to give him the first place vote. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know – you want to be careful divvying up the credit properly, like you're saying, and it is difficult to do. Um, I don't envy you on that one because, like you said, numbers folks That's... trying to make sense of a manager of the year ballot can be trying because, you know, like I said, Farrell didn't even make the top three. And yet, I don't think there's anybody ahead of him where I'm like, that's crazy. There were four guys jumbled together there with, with Bannister, Showalter, Farrell, and Francona that you really have a tough time kind of splitting hairs on. So, don't beat yourself up over it, honestly. I, I really don't think that you're out, think, you're out there making a bad vote. I think there's some – I argued today in my response saying, well, maybe I screwed up. But also, you know, what, what we've been talking about, how much the postseason sort of showed us about these managers, maybe we could vote for them later than the rest of them. Because the player awards, we really want the entire body of players to be mm-hmm. eligible for the award. But we've we voted for 68 managers of the year, and – only one time did we ever uh, put in a manager that had a losing record or was outside of the top three. And right now, outside of the top three, you're basically in the playoffs. You know what I mean? It's like exactly. So, so I, I completely normally, agree. We're normally voting on. We're normally voting playoffs people in, and so th- let's see them in the playoffs. Let's get more sample. Let's get more. Let's see what they can do. So, and that's where they. That's where they get a chance to shine anyway, right? That that's. Th- Maybe it would be overly influenced there. You'd have to be careful on that where people would just say, oh, well, Francona got all this love. He's automatically it. But I don't know. I I look at it, and and this is where they actually get a better chance. We know that in season, you know, on the the 162 grind, they influence some on positive. They influence some on negative. But by and large, there's not a tangible force behind what they do. And so if you get it in the postseason where – you know they're managing completely differently. I think that that's where they really get to start turning the le- pulling the levers, turning the right, right keys, and, and and all that sort of stuff. I would not be uh, against making the manager of the year vote come in after the playoffs. I really wouldn't. Yeah, all right, you know we we got to move on though. Um, don't please, don't please. don't hate yourself let's, on it. it was a perfectly fine vote. I'm I'm actually pretty happy. 
it seems like not a lot of people care about this award. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> hey, I, the, I was, you got to be. Yeah, you yeah. got to be hidden on your first one. You get yeah, right. I'm kind of monitoring bit. Twitter, and there's like two people who've called me an idiot for not putting Bannister higher or not putting Bannister on there, and uh, you know, two people calling me an idiot for putting Farrell first, and one person asked me for my, you know, for my decision. And I, I, is... for what for my thinking behind the decision, I sent it to him. He says, "Great article. No doubt, it's a tough decision." Um, you know, if that's trolling, then I got off pretty, I pretty, pretty good. Uh, yeah, today. get get off pretty light on that one. And again, <laughs> when you have the explanation piece too, I, I, I think it's hard to to crush folks. Yeah. Back in the day, we didn't have necessarily the explanation pieces for folks' votes, but when we kind of learn your thought process on it. That it, you thought what you I, thought. I, I think that's true for the other side too. I, you know, like tomorrow I'm going to be on MLB now. Tomorrow being Wednesday, I'm going to be on MLB now uh, with Brian Kenny. We're going to be talking about the the Cy Young Awards, which yeah, which will be coming out a, are, about two hours after you're on. And they're easier. Those are easier to quantify in terms of we've been trying. Actually, they're, they're probably harder than MVP, honestly, because you know there's still some debate about how much of the ball in play each pitcher owns you know exactly yeah so, i think they are tougher i think they are Hendricks tougher because lester, Hendricks and lester own it when it comes to what happened and if you give them all the credit over balls in play but we also know that that chicago cubs defense is one of the best of all time it really was they had five guys in like the top nine of babip or something i mean maybe not nine i think it was maybe even just top 20 but still all five in the top 20 on babip and several of them on left on base rate those two things go hand in hand because that defense was so great and that's why you know you got to be careful going forward but this is backward looking on the Cy Young situation so I'll be interested to see y'all's conversation there because you have a similar thing with like a Porcello he kind of had a similar deal where he wasn't necessarily the overly dominant guy it's not that Boston's defense was quite as good as the Cubs but it was more of a um contact control situation for Porcello than it was the dominance of like a Kluber and a Verlander. So I'm really excited for both of those votes. By the way, just saw that Dave Roberts got the NO. That's a little bit of a surprise. I kind of thought it was going to be Madden. Uh, Everyone loves Madden. And honestly, I thought Baker would get it if Madden didn't. So Dave Roberts, again, a little bit bit of an upside. And, you know, Madden showed a lot of metal and flaws. So yeah, I don't actually know if a postseason vote would have helped him or hurt him. I, I don't, don't think I think it would have hurt him for sure. Yeah, you think so? It's funny. He would have won the World Series, and and that run might have hurt him because I know because of the Chapman, the Chapman because they kind of won in spite of him almost. And, yeah, there were some some weird decisions there. He he made some questionable decisions that I thought um, you know put put them in a in a in a worse off situation. And I love Joe Madden, but it doesn't mean he's above reproach when I think that he he goofs, and I thought he goofed. Uh, a couple key p- points there in the World Series. So, yeah, it, it is weird to say that seeing the playoffs, having the World Series manager actually hurt himself, but I think he did. And Roberts kind of won it in a walkaway. He he was 38 points ahead of Madden um, and and 42 ahead of, of Baker. So it was it was another kind of runaway win there, and that's, that's a little bit interesting to me. Yeah. Terry Collins got a couple first-place votes. I get that. That's kind of the adversity piece where they seem to lose a key player every – week of the season and um you know they they still kept fighting and kept fighting and it was neither new york voter either so for those that think that's just homerism it wasn't it was tracy tracy ringlesby from mlb.com out in colorado and uh mark schmetzer from the reds report uh out of cincinnati that both voted collins terry collins fourth 
Oh, God. Yep, Terry Collins fourth. I Don Mattingly with a one-third place on. vote. So, uh, who would you had? Who would who would you have had there then? Uh, if you're going, it's hard to it's hard to go back. But I think I would have had Madden. I mean, uh, you know, I didn't run. I don't think I ran. Actually, I think my numbers said Roberts. So maybe okay, I yeah, I was gonna say, did did you run your system? Okay, yeah, I did, that's I interesting. Didn't record it. I, you know, I have my AL vote out in front of me. I don't. I'd have to look back through each thing. But uh, like in terms of lineups, uh, Chicago had the third best. Uh, idealized lineup in baseball um and los angeles had the fourth worst oh wow uh that might have actually probably that might have really pushed uh that might have pushed madden in that's really i can see it Uh, the correlation between the best lineup and the actual lineup for the uh for chicago was 0.751 and for the dodgers is 0.571 explain that that's for those the correlation. That yeah, that's the correlation. That's how close the the daily lineup was to the ideal lineup in terms of getting your best hitters in the right spots. Okay, and so the closest to one or the closest to zero is better. Closest I'm to an one idiot. Zero is better. So and he was points. Uh, Madden was point seven five. Every day you put out your best lineup. Wow, and and so, so Madden was, was close. Number one, eight three six. Clint Hurdle and company. Baltimore number four. That was part of why Show Walter was so good. Mm-hmm. It might have been. Hard for him to screw it up, though. I mean, if you what, look at that Baltimore lineup, you what have, are you going to do, really? You're making a couple decisions on the bottom where you say, "Oh, maybe, you know, maybe Ricard seven or eight. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's not that if big you, a deal. He if you have it in enough. front of you, where was Osmus? Just as a Tigers homer, just curious. Uh, just real middle Th- of the pack. Thirty eighth. Oh, okay, 14th. good, good, because he gets he gets obliterated. Um, on Twitter, of course, which is not surprising. So everybody does, but um, I don't find Osmus as objectionable as a lot of the fans do. So I was curious if if he was way down there or not. And so okay, I'll, I'll, middle of the pack's fine. All right, no more manager of the year doesn't affect fantasy. We got we got things to talk about. I got a question of the day for you right off the bat here. Should any of the qualifying offer decliners, those who declined it, should they have accepted? Do you have anybody of the? I think it was fifteen. Maybe not that many. I think it was maybe 12 who didn't and two who did. We'll get to the two who did. But of, of those who didn't, do you think any of them should have accepted the 17.2 mil? Because um, obviously you're not going to have Cespedes, and no. we knew Fowler wasn't going to do it, and um, Encarnacion. Encarnacion. No. Des- Desmond's probably one that – no, nah, he I, needs to get paid. I mean, he, he, I, I know he already had his bounce back season. You know? That that was just one of the pushback ones that I I had heard was like, oh, you know, he didn't then, accept it. I yeah. agree that he's going to be trying to get out there and and uh, and just and get paid. This, like you said, get paid. Like he's not young. Like he's not, he's not he's not he's not super a, young. It's an interesting decision that you know only nine of them were. There were only nine in all. There were not. Okay, yeah. So here here they are, Edwin. Batista, Fowler, Jansen, Justin Turner, Ioannis, Desmond, and Trumbo said no. And then Helgson and Walker accepted who we'll get yeah. to there. So I think the only ones that you could even really make a case for Trumbo would maybe, maybe be Desmond and Trumbo. And I don't really think Desmond necessarily should have. I'm just saying you could have seen him say, hey, okay, I'll take 17 mil, try to go back again, have another quality season. And, and but, but at some point you want to take that security. He is over 30 at this point. I don't think Turner – I could see people maybe saying that there's a case for him too, but this is his last chance to get paid. 
And I he's think, what, you know, 32? one of the worst numbers I've heard is four for 40. And, you know, that's still twice, you know, three times. Yes, you could maybe get to 17, and then you only have to make, you know, another 20 after that. Um, but, for Turner, four for 40? Yeah. I think he's going to do better than four for 40. I think so, too. I couldn't he's agree with you better. more. Yeah. I know so, he's going to be going age 32, but he's had three great seasons in a row now. Now, they've been escalating plate appearances. It was 322, then yeah, 439, but then a full issues, year yeah. this year, and he stayed, yeah. he stayed really good. Yeah. So I, I, I don't I – don't, I don't really see anybody that jumps out where I say you you goofed you should have accepted it. Maybe They're all the going to get side, money. It's a little bit. Uh, I wrote about Jeremy Hellickson today, and you know, you don't think he could have gotten three for thirty. I think he could have. And then I guess but, he gets one for seventeen. Then you're asking, could you get do better than two for ten? And maybe you know he could probably do better than two for ten, even if he wasn't that great this next year. Even exactly, even if he falls off substantially and kind of goes back to that mid fours guy, you're still only talking about a a thirty one year old next year, uh, or or the year after. He'll be going into his age thirty one season in twenty eighteen. So somebody give one of those bounce back opportunities again, where they say absolutely two for ten, and we hope that the second year is amazing or whatever. You know exactly. So I don't really blame him for saying let me get let me get a fat stack this year seventeen mil. And see then, what I can do. Maybe he liked what happened in Philly. Like they're they're a little bit of a team on the rise. It's not a complete. I don't think they're going to be a total bottom feeder. I think we talked about this a little bit. They had a little taste early on. We knew it was it was fraudulent, and they would fall back because of that bullpen. But he was part of you know um, them kind of staying a little bit compet not competitive in terms of piling up W's, but they weren't always the walk away uh, or the walkover of a three-game set if you ran into the wrong pitchers against them. If you were running into Nola Velasquez and Hellickson, that was going to be a three-game set that you were going to have to battle through. So he had a pretty good season with them. I don't blame him for taking it, especially the way you kind of map it out. He can get a two- or three-year deal uh, next year. He doesn't have to do too much this year, just not fall apart. And, and man, if he could just curb the homers – we could actually see a mid uh, a mid to lower threes ERA again, like yeah, we saw back in his early days. But I, I don't I don't think he's going to. Actually, you know, in in a way, he did curve the homers because he stayed the same while the rest of the league went nuts. So that's true. That's actually a really good point. And in fact, he didn't even stay the same. He got a little bit better from where he was in fifteen. Uh, he allowed one point four homers per nine in Arizona. Brought it down. Did Hellickson to one point one in Philly? And like you said, the league goes haywire. And so for him to even bring it down just a little shred there is actually a pretty substantial gain. So I'll give him credit there. I do think this 3-7 area, 3-7 to like a 4-10, I think that that's the range that you're living in. But if you're getting 180-plus innings of that, that's pretty good for a major league team. What is his fantasy outlook, though? Like, is it NL only? Are you even interested in NL only? How do you value uh, Jeremy Hellickson as a pirate, uh, excuse me, as a Philly next year. It is funny. We were talking about this earlier in the season where we said, well, you know, he added this cutter, but the cutter sucks. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, why would, why would it do all this? So I, I did look into it a little bit further and in, in a piece for Fangraphs, it was asked basically, did Hellickson get better last year or what? And so, you know, I did look at that cutter and the cutter is bad for whiffs. It gets almost half the whiffs of a regular cutter. And it is bad for ground balls. It gets almost half the ground balls. I mean, he's a fly ball guy. And it's a line drive. When it's put in play, it's a line drive like 40% of the time. Something ridiculous. Wow. So it's not a good pitch. But what it does do is it lets him get in on the hands of lefties. And his splits normalized this year. He was able to 
throw the cutter in on their hands and then throw the change up and the curve away um, against lefties. And that um, that really cut down on the homers, you know, you know, and the and the the, the balls in play, and and basically upped his his pop ups. So if you look at his pop ups, he, he got a little bit better on pop ups. He was really bad for three years, and in those three years, the pop ups disappeared. He had pop ups in in Tampa, then he didn't have any pop ups anymore. Yeah, that was a key to Hellickson's early success. Was you weren't you weren't seeing a whole lot of strikeouts, but you were seeing these like really low BABIPs and high left on base rates. It was because when he got in trouble, he could get that pop up, get right out of the inning, and yeah. then like you said, it faded, and then it was back with a vengeance this year. His second best uh, rate, I think, or actually infield fly rate. I know you have to you have to multiply infield fly. Yeah, by but fly even multiplied rate. best of his career, he's up to seven percent. He was a five percent guy early, which is elite uh, league average is around three. He was 5% early, then he dipped to 2.5% in Arizona in those lost years. Uh, the last year even in Tampa, I think. And um, uh, and then this, and then, then this year he's back up to, to 7%. So that was a really wow. great bounce. But the thing that was really funny is against right-handers, his pop-up rate in the bad years was 2.8%, um, which is pretty bad. But in the good year this year, it was only 3.7%. So against righties, he's a little bit more traditional. He's got the changeup. He's got the curve. He tries to strike you out. He gets a few pop-ups, but not an amazing amount. But with the cutter, he near he more than doubled his pop-up rate against lefties. Wow. So he went from like 2.3% to like 6.5%. So that's so there uh, was some value to the pitch. Yeah, yeah. So he, he gets a lot overall. of pop-ups from lefties on that. It, it helps iron out his splits, his platoon splits. And so now he's you know able to get guys with both hands out. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of an injury issue late in the year. And, you know, I think that if we want to make him better next year, then, um, you know, one thing could be a couple more innings. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't hit 200 yet, and 189 actually tied his career high. But, you know, when there's no time like the present. You know, it's like maybe, maybe <laughs> No time like the present that. for Helixson to finally eclipse finally 200. And, and he could. You know, he's going to be 30. It's it's not like he has a bunch of uh, two digits on there. It's not 80s and 60s. It's 189, yeah. 177, 174. The yeah, lost year of 64, Anderson. 146, 189. So he's not he's not it, Brett Anderson. Exactly. It would not be out of the realm of possibilities to see Helixson drop a 200. And if league wide homers, you know, chill out a little bit, then maybe he doesn't get projected into 1.33 homers per nine. Mm-hmm. And then you're then you're talking about a guy who can have like a basically do what he did again maybe like a slightly higher whip but that whip remember that whip his babbits are supposed to be low and yes. he has he doesn't walk guys so you know when he was better going early on he did have 1.15 1. 1. you know 1.2 type whip so i think my personal projection for him would be like a 3.9 era 1.2 whips just slightly better than what the uh projections show because i'll, I'll give him his babbit on those on those pop-ups um, I like adding that mediocre, you know, that mediocre third pitch, fourth pitch, and uh, I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. So I'm with you. I'm with you. Are, are but you? But that's still not it, amazing. That's uh, kind of, that's not really mixed league. No. You know? Are you someone uh, that is going to tab him for a few bucks in an NL though? Are you even going to put a star, or is he just going to be on your list? And if you get to a point in an auction or late in an NL only, you'll say fine give me Helixson. like do you take those innings eaters or are you always looking for the real upside when you get to that mid and mid to end point of your rotation 
And let's yeah, talk like NL only ten teamers. I usually don't buy these sort of boring veteran guys, but you know, I think of maybe like last spot on my fifteen man bench. Um, if everyone else is going for prospects that might not even begin the year, you know, mm-hmm. like I love Brock Stewart. It'd be, I'd be, I'd love to have Brock Stewart and Jeremy Hellickson on like a draft and hold type situation where I can use Hellickson for the innings, but Brock Stewart is there for the upside, you know, that sort of deal. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really good point. By the way, we're going to eventually have to talk about Brock Stewart because you made some interesting points about him out in Arizona, and uh, I've already got a little note uh, here on my whiteboard to follow up on that. So look for some Brock Stewart talk down the line, folks. Eno had some interesting things to say about him. Could be one of uh, Eno's next sleepers. The other guy to accept the qualifying offer, though, was Neil Walker. I don't have an issue with this one either. This one totally makes sense to me, especially he's coming off of a, a back surgery, you know, could he have gotten maybe a three-year deal? Yeah, I, I think I think he could have. He had a really good season. By the, the it surgery, absolutely you know? would, it would have. have. So it would have been like three for thirty, and this exactly, who's a little bit closer to doing better than that. So can he get thirteen after this year? Of I think of course he can. I, I I'd honestly be really surprised if he couldn't. So he's going to go ahead, take the one for seventeen. Hopefully stay healthy, get back, have another good season. He was really good last year with them. Matched his career high in homers despite only playing uh, 113 games. And he set his career high in 137. We'll do plate appearances, 458 to 571. So over 100 fewer plate appearances and still matched it. Part of that obviously was the league. But he just hit really well with the Mets. Neil Walker's outlook for 2017. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to just say one real quick thing about real baseball stuff. The, there might be a change in the CBA. So, oh, do you, uh, do you think we might lose it? Uh, yes, there's been talk that the penalizing pick will be taken away. So good. that uh, the team that loses the player uh, gets a pick that's sort of just given to them. and there's A no sandwich penalty. pick. Yes, yeah, just, just something like a in pick a, and a they fake don't round. Anything. So that uh, might be a reason to take the qualifying offer, and then next year teams can look at you without – factoring the cost of the lost pick so that's that's uh that's a little bit of reason they can do it um you know walker walker's actually been kind of hurt you know there's there's two there's like one real full season on there even the he's he's eclipsed 600 plate appearances twice but only once was it 159 games the other time was 151 games and it was uh in 2015 and he might have even played through an injury or two there because it was his worst year yeah, because he really struggled for what he had established. He had established himself as as better than what we were seeing there, and, and his skills kind of kind of waned a little bit in 2015. Did Neil Walker? So it was nice to see him surge back this year. But then the, the uh, injury hits. He has to go with back surgery. I don't think it's expected to cost him any time. Uh, but I totally understand coming off of a back surgery why you would just take this and regroup. So I think is, I would. I think I'd be interested in him. Okay, is he a... I mean, I just think it's going to really tank his, his draft day value. Well, uh, you also have to factor in second base is super deep. I did, yeah. my, I did my early top 15 for second base. He didn't even make it, and it was really nothing against him. Second base is really deep. So if you factor that in, plus a, a flat-out reason for people... Kind of 13, 14, 15 guys. So the back end back end guys were uh, D. Gordon, Javier Baez, and Dustin Pedroia. Jesus. And then the five more I did, I, and I didn't do write-ups on them. I just listed five more. Joe Panic, Ben Zobra, Starlin Castro, Devon Travis, and Logan Forsythe. Okay, and okay. The, I, I throw Walker in that mix. 
six. Walker's in that group. I only did five. If I'd have done like he's he's Walker equal was in to there? that. No, no, I only did five, but oh. he's right in that yeah. that group. Well, I mean, which just is, when you started naming those, I'd probably take Walker over Panic. Um, I love who, Panic. I think I think Panic's going to get back on track next year. I think his injuries impacted him. He got going. Uh, yeah, once he got back healthy. Any power steals, so it's, it's no, you're not going to give any power steals. No, don't dispute any of my picks. No, I'm steals. kidding. Um, <laughs> you're out there watching Panic more. I guess I don't know. I, I did. I did the uh, baseball. No, HQ. I, no, he's a good player. It just seems more of a deeply one where I see Walker as kind of fringe, um, useful, and and you know, especially when you're because now when you get down to 15, you can actually get some MIs there, right? So 15 teams. Absolutely, MIs, so. absolutely. Let me ask you this uh, on Walker. Let's yeah. give him 140 games. Uh, so um, not quite back into the 50s, but better than what he's been doing for most years. Because since the one, 159, 129, 133, 137, 151, 113. So 140 would still be one of his higher ones. We'll say that. 275, 25. Okay, okay. Um, I can live with that. That's pretty good, it's obviously. a little bit better than his projections, but I think the projections... I mean, the projections obviously have to take into account the juice ball stuff. and, and but, mm-hmm. but, you know... I don't think the Walker got to really let it eat as much as other people. So um, I would be interested to see. I mean, he, he had a 194 ISO last year. That would be less compared to the league than the 195 ISO he had in 2014. Because Agreed. in yeah. 2014, the, the league-wide ISO was lower. So, um, you know. And that that season was cut short by injury, too. He was having an amazing year that year. Yeah. And and ran into injury, so it seems these these two huge years that he's had have both love, run into injuries. I would love. I mean, I won't get bias. Uh, who are some of the other? Give me that that group again. Okay, so um, that was force uh, the the extra five that you said oh, he'd yeah. be above. Panic, Zobris, Castro, Travis, Forsyth, but then Pedroia, okay. Baez, D. Gordon, Jonathan Scope, and then I got your boy down there, Rugio Odor. I, I think we see a little bit of a fallback from him before he kind of emerges yeah, little, in his mid-20s. A little nervous about that, KBB. I, I, th- I think it would be really fun to have, like, um, I mean, it won't work, but Baez Walker uh, as my MI combo. Um, that could, know, I think that could work. I mean, you're going to – so the way I would look at that, if you were going to make that plan, you're going to have to overpay a little bit for Baez, but you're making it up with Walker, right? Because Walker's yeah. going to cost less than he should. Baez is going to cost more, but you're gambling that maybe he comes he comes quicker um, with, with the development because I still think there's development issues similar to Odor with Baez, and, and we haven't even seen a 33-homer season from him. We saw in the World Series what the downside of Baez, and I know it's a small sample, but that's what can happen. You go 5 for 30 with 13 strikeouts. When he starts trying to let it eat, he lets it eat a little bit too much, and he starts corkscrewing himself into the ground does Baez, but if he cuts his strikeout rate down to like 20%, plays a full season, all of a sudden we, we, there's a path to Baez busting out. So you're paying for that a little bit on the front end. I think you get it back with Walker, and, and you kind of figure it out with those two. I actually kind of like that plan, and I do think you could make it work. If you're yeah. willing to pay the extra for Baez, knowing that you're going to get it back with a later pick three, four, five rounds later. It's just that, that combination of... Uh... It's just that I like that combination of sort of upside and veteran. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know, I and you probably if you do draft Walker, you kind of might need to have another. You know, um, yeah, I, th- I think you want to. You want so, you want a plan, like and you scope, can get one. Scope Walker is similar. I love. You know, scope. they're both like there's a lot of power there. I would just you know I would 
I think what I'm saying is I would wait on MI. I think uh, you have for to. For a decent amount um, of time and then try to jump in and get to, you know, just, you know, because I'd see a decent amount of upside. Scope could figure it out a little bit. Walker could be healthy for a year. Maybe he's fixing something that needed fixing for a long time. Um, you know, re- recoveries from back surgery are terrible. We don't know what they're going to be, but sometimes they're okay. You know, sometimes it fixes something that was hurting. Uh, exactly. So, no, so I, I'm, I, I'm fully with you on, you know, like waiting. Walker, Walker in the 20th round and, uh, you know, scope in the 15th or something, you know, uh, maybe get my young guy early, but make him, you know, later on compared to other guys. And then, uh, get my old guy a couple of rounds before the end, you know, I mean, Obviously, the front end second basemen are worth it. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with paying for Altuve, Turner, Cano, Murphy. But well, depending on how you're building your team, and I yeah, think, and MI is a, one of those things that sometimes people could sort of jump for us and they're thinking, oh, MI so you know makes it shallow, but it, it's just not. Yeah. It's it's just not this year because shortstop also it, second base and shortstop were the positions that most. Uh, that saw the most growth with the with the home run surge across the league. They could, really benefited the most. They did. They really did. They it brought them up. And then, you know, uh, there's a lot of like uh, not utility men, but guys who have been moved around a lot. And it, you know, like a VR type. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, it He's looks got short and third eligible. Right. It, like it. It, it does weird things to position eligibility to, to basically our idea of replacement level and sk- position scarcity. If you count VR as a third baseman and a shortstop. Exactly. And Manny Machado counts at both. Obviously right. that's so you the, really the should count end. those guys only at their most difficult position, which I think makes third base a little bit more shallow than we think. Um, and makes the middle infield infield deeper because we've, we've seen these guys get moved into to short and second, I think a little bit more than we have seen in the past. I agree. I agree. Um, let's move on to some other moves here. We've got a few other small moves that we're going to talk about, and, and then one rumor that's breaking my heart, but I, I, know, I knew it was coming, so mm-hmm. it's all right. Um, Danny Valencia, a guy we have talked about here uh, out in the Bay Area with you, speaking of third base, he gets moved out to Seattle where he's going to get uh, a, a clear path to, to a lot of playing time, it, it looks like. Uh, he was traded from Mariners to from the Athletics to the Mariners. I think the piece was was that the one where Vidal Nuno was that Vidal Nuno no. going back Blackburn Phil oh yeah Blackburn. Paul Blackburn Paul, Paul Blackburn. Blackburn yeah the Nuno deal was uh, something else that was not, uh, not protected weeks to be ago. much Nuno got traded yeah Vidal Nuno God anyway. what was that trade because Jason called it there was a small deal that they did who did they get I'm gonna look it up it doesn't matter but I'm gonna not look Steve it up just because. I need uh, to know. Not Steve Cisha. Oh, Carlos Ruiz. Carlos Ruiz. Where did yeah, Carlos went, Ruiz go? Oh, the that, Mariners. Yeah, that was that was Mariners Dodgers deal. That was back when we were in uh, when we were in Phoenix. So, um, so yeah, they've made two additions puts here. A little bit of a damper on Zunino. Well, Zunino puts a damper on Zunino because he sucks. <laughs> okay, Zunino so, does all the dampening. He wets well, we the heard blanket some himself. In Arizona, that Dan Vogelbach is not ready to be a major leaguer. Correct, and that and might that's be the true, Danny Valencia becomes a really interesting first baseman there. Bingo, because we've now seen two seasons where he's actually figured out how to how to stay afloat against righties. And two years ago, he was actually good against them. In 2015, it was like really kind of strange. He had an 881 OPS. We had never seen anything like that. But even last year, falling back to 742, that that's that's good enough for what. 
Valencia does against lefties. If he can just stay afloat, because he has a career 682. So to be at se- anywhere in, around the 750 range, say 735 to 765, if he can kind of live in that range against righties, that's capable enough that you can keep him in every day while also getting that excellence against lefties where he has an 873 OPS against them, including a 924 last year. He absolutely decimates lefties. A, so he might a, be a full-timer. He's a leg kick guy, you know. He, yes, he uh, is. He he put on all that power with a with a leg kick in Toronto. He got um, a leg kick Billy Butler right in the dome. And then there was a little leg kick going on there. They're yeah, both I, gone, by the way. Now, um, after that little yeah. dust up, now now they just Let both out of there. House. Just, yep. Uh, clean some house. All right, so I, eighteen I, I homers would, last year, 15, yeah, seventeen this I think year. He could do it again. The only thing is, I mean, he's everyone calls him a clubhouse cancer. So how long till? I mean, really, if you look at it, he hasn't managed. He hasn't managed two straight full seasons with a team since the Twins. You know, he got cut from a team when he had a five oh six slug. Yeah, he was cut from Toronto with a five oh six slug. Yeah, so that's a risk. But I think you want to buy him because, especially since eighteen homers doesn't mean what it means anymore. You, you don't, sure, you don't need it in in a mixed league team. I really like him as like a three to five AL only. Yes, because at three to five dollars, if he gets some part time work, you're okay. If he if he gets like benched and or demoted or, or or something, then if you can like move him around and 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 hide him in some places, he has some position eligibility. You move him around, um, you know, you, you're not you're not spending too much, and you have the upside of getting like a ten dollar player out of it. He'll have third and outfield and and earn first base, obviously, in season because that's be where he's expected dollar, to play. He's better than a dollar player because he's, uh, agreed. Uh, he's going to have probably a job. And even if you're having early ones, I think it's still worth betting on him because it is early in the offseason. They might do something, but they have a little bit more of a glaring need in the outfield. And I don't – I mean, I think Valencia might play there some, but I think they'd rather Who? sign an outfielder. Huh? Oh, you think Valencia might get some outfield? Maybe he might play. Some, okay, he played some outfield in in Oakland, but I I think that more likely they're looking to buy. It's easier to buy an outfielder. I think mm-hmm. the, the first basemen are either crappy or they're or uh, studs or studs, and and you're not going to buy one. So I don't even think there is a free agent. I, Edwin, and they're not going to sign. And Edwin. they're not getting Edwin. I don't think they're signing Edwin. It's just not the that. It's just not a. It, it would be so superfluous. It, it would it would make really no sense. I'm not saying they don't have the money to do and it. They've you, made big splashes before, but this is not the the time to make a big splash on Edwin and Canarsie right. for that. And you're and then you're playing Valencia and Seth Smith as your corner outfielders. Oh two, my that's god, two statues. <laughs> that's terrifying. Two statues. So I think they'll want a little bit of. They also have shown in the past they like defense, defensive flexibility, position flexibility. Valencia will play some of the outfield for them against lefties in a pseudo platoon with Seth Smith if they if they find a first baseman they like to play against uh, against lefties they can do Agreed. some of that but there's still kind of a whole position left open which would be left field you know or right field one of the corner outfielders I'd rather put Smith and Valencia in one spot with first base kind of they're, they're kind of you know both doing first and, and but not like three positions I mean Ben Gamble is starting every day so I think that's a, I think that alone, the fact that Ben Gamble is listed as their number one left fielder, says uh, they're going to get an outfielder next. So. What about someone that we saw um, 
Tyler O'Neill, how quickly can he arrive in the majors and start doing some damage? I don't know how much AAA he had. We saw him in the Arizona Fall League. Not a not a huge guy for the power that he has. Power doesn't always come from from hulking masses like uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. He's 5'11", 210. Uh, probably, he looked a little bit thicker to me. He might be closer to... to 220 of muscle uh, and maybe even closer to 510 like he's he's that fire hydrant type he's he's absolutely ripped his dad uh his dad was a body bodybuilder so he actually has this like um weird uh body like the way he holds his body it's not it's not like a meathead you know he actually has some grace i would say Mm. and um uh, you know i heard someone in the crowd say like a dancer Oh, that's interesting. And I actually was like, yeah, that's what it is. He had so, a huge season. He didn't even touch AAA, by the way. I should mention on Tyrone yeah, Hills. Full AAA season in double A. Exactly. I, I was just looking at roster resource. They're slotting him in AAA. In plus 75 more in the AFL. I don't know if they're penciling him in as the opening day guy. But, but it's close. I AFL is finishing school. Yeah, like, I think they're it, ready. It, it really to, is. They're ready to play him. I, I the only thing I am a little bit worried about is the strikeout rates. He did get it down to twenty six percent, twenty seven percent in AFL, but I think he's going to strike out thirty percent of the time. If you compare that with a ten percent walk rate and a, like a two twenty ISO, he can be like a two forty hitter with a decent OBP. Um, you know, right now his projection is uh, two thirty seven, two ninety six, four eleven for this last line. I'll, I'll uh, I think I saw enough out of his play discipline that I'll pump up that walk rate and make him like a 240, 320, 420 kind of guy. Okay. That's, so, that's pretty good, but that's still a little bit more. I mean, it's not top 10 prospect kind of guy. I think he gets at least, I think Tyler O'Neill gets a month in AAA. And yeah. so I'm with you that I, I wasn't bringing down. him up. Yeah, they, it's they not they to dispute like the a, outfield signing. They buy like a Peter Borges or. You know they buy they buy like a a dude to stand out there for a while, and if they're good, maybe they hurry up O'Neill. If not, could know. they bring back Goots, Frank and Gutierrez? Yeah. yeah, that might that might work. I um, mean, he's, he's older. Not really, he's he's a clubhouse not, guy. He's not really a everyday guy. Let's see what Gamble's handedness is. Ben Gamble is a lefty, is, so you could do Gamble. It works. Gamble Goots. Gamble Goots. I like Gamble Goots. Sounds and like then, something I should put on a sandwich. Oh, did you get did you get it with Gamble Goots? Nah, dude, I I can't eat that. I'm allergic to it. Oh, okay, that sucks that you're allergic to Gamble Goots. It's so good. All right, let's move on. Kendris Morales going to Toronto. This this I mean, listen, this doesn't spell the end of Edwin or Bautista. They were never coming back. I did I didn't think, especially both of them. Maybe they signed Bautista. I don't see it. I I think they're moving away from both of those guys. They're gonna figure out kind of the next wave it's not that they're not still competing uh obviously they are in toronto but i think that they believe that they've got pieces with donaldson Tulowitzki, uh russell martin travis they got they got a top of their order all set now morales comes in he's going to be the full-time dh he had a pretty solid season you know since he's gotten healthy and and gotten back on kind of a normal schedule because remember he had that one season where was the qualifying offer, I believe, that, that ruined his season and, and left him out there forever, and it was just a wash-away 2014 season, 98 games of a 6-12 OPS for Kendris Morales, but then last year back up at 847, came back down a little bit to earth this year at 795, but did pop 30 homers again, took Second advantage of, of his career. Yeah, yeah league, league-wide, league-wide took advantage of that, but hey, 
you'll take you'll take a a, a, a plus bat at DH. Any plus bat. DHs don't do what what I think a lot of people expect. Like there's not a million DHs out there dominating these. Not these a, days. it is a skill. I mean, we've talked about this. I've, I've talked about this before. I've, I've written mm-hmm. about it. Is is that there's a ten percent penalty uh, for a, a hitter to 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 pinch hit basically. And I think that there are some players who actually don't have that penalty as bad. I mean, you talk about like Lenny Harris, who's like the king of pinch hits. Yeah, he was awesome. I doubt that he was 10% better every day. I think he was just good at being his everyday person all the time. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that Morales might have that. Butler might have that. You know, it's the skill of being able to be just about yourself, no matter if you're coming off the bench or if you're playing on the field. I don't think Brandon Moss has that. He's an ADHD mofo. I would not sign Brandon (laughs) Moss to be... And and I say that sort of jokingly, but, you know, Adam LaRoche, I wouldn't have signed to be my DH either. He had not been a DH very often. He'd been a first baseman. He actually has ADHD, uh, and I don't think that he did you know, was very awesome with him and DH. So we, we throw guys there as if it's so easy. And like you're saying, it's not, you know, Victor Martinez has shown the skill. I think that you got to give Poppy, yeah. uh, David Ortiz credit. Oh, and you for, know, for what the, he's the done. whole story that came out in my, in my story about, uh, about what batters can see with Ortiz calling what pitches are coming before they're coming and telling other people what's coming. Nasty. I think that's the skill. That's the Absolutely. skill. Mike Morse. I asked him, how did you hit that homer off of Pat Neshek in the, in the playoffs? And he said, the entire game, I was on the edge of my seat, and I was trying to predict every inning who would come up, what the pitcher would be, when they would bring in the reliever, who the reliever would be, what relievers they had left on their bench, when I would come in, and what reliever I would face. And as soon as I figured out it was Pat Neshek, I ran downstairs, and I had a coach throw me sidearm uh, for two innings. Oh, wow. And so he came came up there, and all he'd been seeing was Neshek slot uh, pitches, uh, for the last two innings, and then uh, and then he was then, ready. You know, he was ready for it. So I, I think that's what Ortiz is doing. He's mentally in the game. He's trying to anticipate every pitch for everybody, and that keeps him that keeps him sort of you know active, you know, mentally. So uh, I don't know that I don't know Morales that well, but he's been DHing for so long that I think that he probably has this skill. And I think that our numbers kind of penalize him a little bit too much for being a DH. So I think if you look at these seasons where he's almost been a major league average hitter, uh, a major league average player despite being a DH, I would bump him up a notch. I would say he's slightly better than major league average because he's his bat is 14% better than the league. In the last couple of years, it's 30 and 10% better than the league. So, you know, he, he has skill with the bat, and he's able to do it despite not playing in the field. So I think we penalize DHs too much, and I think the deal... It looks bad because he, you know, he can't run, he can't defend. But if you're in the American League, especially if you're a team like Toronto that's been depending on a DH that has production, uh, you know, three for thirty, man, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go out there and find uh, a bat that's fifteen percent better than the league for for thirty million dollars these days. I to- I totally agree. Um, I think it's a good signing, and I'm interested yeah, I to see might, what he might go nuts. I, I could really absolutely see him dominating there. No, it's been it's been Anaheim, uh, KC, and then that crap season was Minnesota and Seattle. Neither particularly great hitting environments. This is his first time in in not only a, uh, a great environment but a good lineup too. Because even without those two, I think they're still going to be a good lineup. I was already naming Travis Tulo, Donaldson, Martin. Uh, you know, 
that's kind of where it, it, it definitely jumps down a level when you're talking about smoke and, and, and Melvin Upton and, and Pilar, but I'm, I'm not certain that they won't bring in somebody else for the outfield as well. Maybe sign somebody like a Josh Reddick or something uh, to, to go out there in the outfield and, and deepen the lineup a little bit more. But the top of the lineup is still very good in Toronto. And I think Kendris Morales will be a benefactor and he'll be dirt cheap. Nobody wants 34-year-old players um, that cl- clog up the DH. And it's just a market inefficiency. So you can pretty much get 30 and 100 for free, basically. Um, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he just won't cost much no matter what. So I do like Kendris Morales. All right, Dino, let's talk a little bit of trade rumors here. And we're going to start seeing these come through more and more. Uh, the little grumblings that we saw today were J.D. Martinez being talked about out in uh, San Francisco. Now, we know San Francisco is going to be active this year. and that they've, they've been telegraphing it already saying that they're going to be in on these one of these three big closers that are available melanson jansen and and chapman they're gonna be making moves for offense whether it's trades or signings they're they're loaded or or they're they're gonna be loading up to make another big run here maybe start an odd year trend because they 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 didn't win the world series this year i i love jd martinez he's my favorite tiger right now like there, there's kind of the uh, the uh, legacy members, Cabrera and Verlander, of course, I love them. But Martinez is kind of my off-the-beaten-path a little bit favorite player. Just love his approach, love how smart he is about hitting, how he kind of rebuilt himself, made himself a really big-time power outfielder. What do you think of, of uh, him out in San Francisco, and what might the Tigers get back in return for J.D. Martinez? Do you have any speculation on on names that they might get back? I don't – it's – like, I just don't think they want to give up Christian Arroyo because Eduardo Nunez is only under contract for another year, and Arroyo exactly. really looks like a Joe Panic, Matt Duffy type, where you know people are going to underrate him, and he's going to step in and just play solid D and be well, too you know, damn bad. You got to give him St. Louis Cardinal type player where he's got two yep. wins and you know just manages to be good. And so, randomly has like a four win season at some point. Right. And if you look past him, it's just, I don't know if there's enough to get a guy like JD Martinez, uh, depending on what, what do you think of his defense? I think it's uh, passable. Um, I would not, I would not, I, I know that's not a ringing endorsement, but I don't, think I like think he's got a solid like arm. Minus five, minus 10 instead of like, cause he's been minus 11, minus 11, minus seven, zero and minus 23. Yeah, see, the minus 23 kind of shocks me. I mean, I know he got hurt playing defense, but it was, you know, the the, the momentum carried him into the wall and he smashed his elbow. I do, he doesn't strike me as a guy where I'm like, oh, we can't have him out there if it gets hit to J.D. That's Martinez. Not like a, that's not a Schwarber injury. <laughs> it, that, exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. And he has a good arm. Um, he, he makes some goofs, though. He's He's below average. I'm not. I'm not going to front on that. JD Martinez is a is a minus five type, like you're talking, but I don't think he's minus ten, minus twenty. I really and I, don't. And I don't really understand why the projections ding his bat so much. Over the last three years, he's had he's been fifty percent better in the league, forty percent better in the league, and forty percent better in the league, and he's projected to be eighteen percent better than the league. That's insane. Like, what I'm sorry, is missing there. Well, I guess they're drop off in power, more strikeouts and fewer walks, but. I don't know. This guy remade himself, and then he remade himself again. And when he got back, some injury. Yeah, when he got back this year from the injury, he was awesome. Like he 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 came he came back strong and 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 finished like the JD Martinez that we were used to seeing. I mean, I I don't know. If the Tigers are selling him as a league average guy, 
who's only probably under control for what, like two more years? I think it's just this year, actually. It's just one full year of JD. Uh, so if it's one year of JD, then maybe the Giants get away with selling like Tyler Beatty. Tyler Beatty. Yeah. And like Sam Coonrod. And like, you know, the Tigers do want pitching, and maybe they throw in, you know, Chris Shaw, Brian Reynolds, or something. I mean, these are all, they're, I, I'm naming like two through 10 on the Giants list, but that's not saying much because it's, it's, it's not a normal two through 10. Worst. Yeah worst farm systems in baseball. Tigers fans are used to that, though, where the two through ten, like, oh, it's the number three prospect. Yeah, but it's in the Tigers system. Chill out. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, so, don't get too hyped. I don't know. Maybe they like some of their pitches. I mean, we ha- the Giants have a guy named Ray Black who's, who throws a hundred. You know, and Giants, Yo, the Tigers love that. Tigers love that. Listen, it's a new GM, <laughs> Al Avila, but he, he, he came up under Dave Dombrowski. He's been there. This is the same. It's, it's essentially the same regime. So you can apply the same principles uh, and Tigers are obsessed with hard throwers. They don't even really care kind of what else they do if they can throw the ball hard. So Ray Black strikes me as as a piece in the deal almost no matter what. Like I don't know that it could be a Royal and Black like you're piece. saying. But yeah, it's we're starting with Ray Black and and we're going Maybe from there like if we're Ty building Block. a package. Ty Block, you know, I mean, he he only throws 90 but you know, he he has some major He's league kitchen experience sink. and yeah. you know kitchen sink stuff so i don't know he'll, he'll, they, he'll they, kitchen they, sink yeah something there if it's only a year of jd i don't know if i were the giants i might keep it in the pants though because <laughs> you know i like mac williamson and Jarrett parker a little bit i guess one of those guys could be going if one of those guys goes in the deal yeah I, actually I, I could see that then then you then everything gets cheaper you know i think then you can actually throw black in there and beady and maybe call it a day it might be mac black and beady yeah. And and something like that, and that might not. I, Mac is the guy I'd rather keep. So well, that's the, the I'm the I'm the Tigers guy here, advocating for know, the better yeah, guy. The absolutely, they they should probably keep an eye on the futures to some extent. I mean, they keep sending everybody away. They got almost nothing left, and the the Dodgers, on the other hand, keep buying minor leaguers. So mm-hmm. it's no, going to get you're untenable right. Right. at some point. And I don't know. I think I would just sign a reliever this offseason and kind of call it a day. I, I tend to agree. I don't know that they have to completely load up. I would try to sign one of the top two. I definitely think there's a cutoff from from Melanson, uh, dude. I mean, Melanson's going to cost like sixty million dollars. No way. No chance. There's no, no chance. Way. Pony up Melanson for Jansen or Chapman, yes. or or don't Another freaking 20 bother. Another million and get yourself one of those guys. Exactly. Get one of them, and I'm with you. I don't know that they necessarily need to do more, but I think they're going to. Everything that they're telegraphing right now, it, it, even before these JD rumors, suggests that they're going to do more, uh, acquire some sort of bat, again, whether it's via free agency or via trade. We'll see, but they're, they're going to be retooling, whereas I tend to agree with you that, that maybe just putting Chapman at the back end of that bullpen with Strickland and Law and Smith, that's a that's a not that's not a bad quartet at all. I dare I say it's actually good. I mean if you can avoid getting into the deeper part of the bullpen, which is where they really got hurt, uh, and then with Casilla also struggled. Actually it was the whole bullpen. Uh, let me backtrack. It was the whole bullpen. <laughs> they really flopped uh and it was bad. But Casilla's gone, Romo's gone. They, if you're looking at like I said, Chapman, Strickland, Law, Smith, you got two righties, two lefties you can ride a lot. Of, you can ride those four, especially in the playoffs, throughout the entire playoff. Now, in the season, you're going to have to use more of a, a Gearin or a Contos or whatever, Albert Suarez, who has some starting experience. But uh, And then you're looking at Bumgarner, Cueto, Samarja, Moore as a great top four. The lineup 
is solid top to bottom. Even with a Jarrett Parker, Mac Williamson platoon hitting eighth. You got Span, Belt, Posey, Pence, Crawford, Nunez, Panic. There's not really a hole in the lineup. There's not too many super duper stars like Posey and Pence, probably it. Belt kind of on the cusp. But there's no easy outs either. So I'm with you. I don't know that they need to do more. approach to lineups. I mean, it's definitely what the Cardinals do. Exactly. No, I I think it's the right way to go. You know, and and who's their hole, you know, so. I I think I think it's the right way to go, but but I guess again, if you do the no holes approach, then you might get a little nervous about that Williamson Parker. You know, well, if you get JD Martinez, then you really have no holes, and you've added another star level player, power bat into the middle of the lineup, and I think his power will play everywhere. It might be a little bit muted in San Francisco just because everybody's is, but, but he can hit it out of anywhere. On his projections, I don't know what. Absolutely, he's never a two eleven ISO man. It's not. Like it's. He's- 35 dude he's 29 he's 29 it has to be weighing as astros time way too much it, it makes no there. sense to me and though. also like I, last year 228 iso so it was a little bit down from his 253 but i think given the shape of his season and like know. i said when, when he came back when he came back he had well it was 221 okay so he had 945 ops but it was a 221 iso but i don't know he hit he hit 10 homers in his final 55 games that's like a 30 homer pace i i don't know you know what screw it trade for jd martinez i love talking to that guy jd martinez is awesome dude you you would be able to talk to him regularly that that would be great that would be one great thing like i said i've kind of resigned myself to to jd being traded because they can get something legitimate for him and he only has a year left and they are looking to uh more of a rebuild than just a retool now they do kind of realize that they got to start making some moves to avoid uh really sinking so i get it um, I'm not sure that Verlander or Miggy's going anywhere, but I definitely feel like J.D. Martinez is, is going to be gone. You know, we're actually going to go ahead and wrap up. We had a little segment on some pitchers that we were going to cover. I'm going to save it for next time because we ended up talking a whole lot about uh, those qualifying offers, a little good discussion there, and these moves kind of got us through a full hour. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. TBD, if we, if you and I are back later in the week, but I am working on a uh, on, on a guest episode, so we will have another one later this week, another episode on Thursday or we'll Friday. Plenty of pitching all off season. Exactly. Anytime we're like, wait, what are we talking about? We just start pitching. pitching. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's what I thought we were going to have to do today because the news was light, and then we actually had some really good conversations on all of it. So I was like, eh, we can just save it. Uh, you're going to be on MLB now tomorrow. For those of you who don't have uh, MLB Network. Go buy it. Like call your cable company tonight and buy it. Uh, I need know, to see Eno Saris. Sometimes there's clips that show up. Your clip should be on there. They seem to put the the long interviews. Well, are you going to be an interview? Well, yeah, because you're not going to I New York to be there. In on the panel discussion. So, so hopefully no, they no have your clip up. I think it's going to be more. I'm in the panel, but sometimes they they come up with. Uh, sometimes things come up and they they make little clips of them. You better believe I'll be looking for the clip, and if so, I'll tweet it out. But I'll, I'll be watching. It'll be great. Um, and, and, again, you and I will figure out what we're doing later in the week, but there will be another episode, and then Jason and I back on Sunday. Eno, great talking to you. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening.